We at the Deep Dive Podcast support Black Lives Matter. If you want more information on how you can help this incredibly important movement, please go to blacklivesmatter.com. Thank you. Get ready to enter a new dimension. It's time to put on your real deep 3D glasses. Hello, divers. Coming to you from a hermetically sealed bunker located underneath an abandoned Super Kmart, welcome to the Deep Dive Microcast. I'm Tom Feeney, raconteur, stress eater, and writer for Wang's Chop Movie Magazine, available on Amazon.com. This is a companion series of the Deep Dive Podcast where myself and my co-host Manda look at the lesser-known offerings available on streaming media. On this microcast, we'll dive into the history of the 3D movie. So put on those glasses you were handed at the door and get ready for this edition of the Deep Dive Microcast. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Richard Carlson. I'm sure you'd all like to know something about the new entertainment miracle, Third Dimension, what it is, what it does. Well, the best way I can describe it to you is to tell you that it makes the screen absolutely real and alive. People, objects, landscapes take on a depth and a dimension such as they have in real life. And it has an added quality. Objects actually seem to come out of the screen. So real they almost touch you, creating the most dramatic impact that the screen has ever known. Coming to an incredible climax when a molten meteoric spaceship from another planet rushes out of the heavens right at you. Since the early days of motion pictures, the holy grail for filmmakers has been to create a totally immersive experience for their audiences. Movie screens, which started as simple square sheets pinned to a wall, got bigger and bigger. Wide screen formats like CinemaScope and VistaVision became popular in the 1950s after competition came from television. To make the movies seem more impressive, theaters began adding inventions like CinemaScope, where three synchronized projectors showed a super wide image on three screens simultaneously. You might think that the idea of a three-dimensional movie was among these mid-century era gimmicks designed to get more people into theater seats. Not so much. Creating the illusion of three dimensions from two-dimensional images goes back to the mid-19th century and comes from a man who was born only five years after the signing of the Declaration of Independence. A Scottish scientist and inventor named David Brewster spent his career working in the field of optics, or the behavior and properties of light. Brewster gained fame in the early 1800s for inventing the kaleidoscope, which became the Nintendo Switch of 1815. Everyone had to have one. It would be 25 years later when David Brewster would unveil his most important contribution to the world, the stereoscope. While the idea itself wasn't new, basically a viewing device that, when looked into, takes two identical images and fuses them into one image that looks three-dimensional. At the time, it was considered the height of entertainment. The stereoscope would continue to delight people for over two centuries. For example, there's a popular toy that uses stereoscopic images on a cardboard disc to produce a 3D effect. 
This GAFE mess is a lot of fun. What do you think? It's truly interesting. The three-dimensional color pictures are extraordinary. I find these how-to-play football wheels very instructional. I always considered the GAFU Master an ingenious invention of great educational value. Gee, I always thought it was just a lot of fun. That's right, the Viewmaster, around since the 1940s, is an example of a stereoscope and is still alive and kicking today. When it came to making 3D motion pictures, the idea has been around since the movie industry began. As far back as the 1890s, inventors have been working on a way to create three-dimensional films. There have been many patents and processes developed for 3D, but the one that finally caught on was called Anaglyph 3D. Now, if you've ever put on a pair of those cardboard glasses with one green and one red lens, you've seen an Anaglyph 3D movie. Now, how does it work? Simply put, two identical images are overlapped, one with a red filter, one with a blue or green filter. When you put the glasses on, the color lenses fuse the two images together into a three-dimensional image. Sort of. It's always been a tricky prospect getting the effect to look realistic. According to most film historians, the honor of being the first feature-length 3D film goes to the 1952 black-and-white jungle movie, Buona Devil. Never before has the color camera captured such savage jungle violence as killer lions terrorize a fierce warrior tribe and a relentless white hunter challenges death itself for the love of his beautiful bride. It's the unforgettable African adventure story that made screen history. An otherwise forgettable movie starring a young Robert Stack the independently produced Buona Devil used an anaglyph process called Natural Vision. The film was released into theaters on November 26, 1952 and was a huge success. This was almost entirely due to the novelty of the 3D effect as the movie itself was universally panned by critics. However, the film's success did not go unnoticed in Hollywood. Less than six months later, the first 3D movie from a major studio premiered in theaters and in color. Starring horror icon Vincent Price, that film was 1953's House of Wax. Price plays a wax sculptor whose wax museum is torched in an arson fire with him in it. Disfigured and unable to sculpt any longer, he goes mad and takes revenge on those who have wronged him. The film is considered a horror classic, more due to the performance by Vincent Price than the 3D effects, which included an odd scene of a man in a tuxedo and top hat playing with a paddle ball that flew at the screen. Once again, the 3D proved to be a box office bonanza. Oddly enough, the film's director, Andre de Toth, only had one eye. So a man with no depth perception at all was hired to direct a movie in 3D, only in Hollywood. Fun fact, House of Wax was advertised by Warner Brothers as the first 3D movie from a major studio. But that really wasn't true. Two days before House of Wax hit theaters, Columbia Pictures released the 3D crime drama Man in the Dark. They did that in order to get the film into theaters before Warner Brothers did. And Columbia shot Man in the Dark in only 11 days. These movies jump-started the first 3D movie craze. Over the next two years, over 50 3D movies would be released. 
Standouts include It Came From Outer Space, the musical Kiss Me Kate, and the classic Creature from the Black Lagoon. Even the master of suspense himself, Alfred Hitchcock, worked in 3D. The classic Dial M for Murder was intended to be released in 3D. However, by the time the film came out, the 3D craze had pretty much ended, and the film was released in 2D instead. There were several reasons why 3D movies fell out of favor so quickly during that time. Theaters were unhappy with the added maintenance of new equipment needed to show 3D films, and audiences grew tired of the gimmick because, to be honest, it wasn't very good to begin with. The 3D movie as it was rode off into a very dim and grainy sunset. But like many things in Hollywood that seemed dead and gone, 3D made a comeback. Fast forward more than 20 years, two former Xerox salesmen decided to get into filmmaking. They wanted to make a film that would be set apart from the kinds of movies being released at the time. They wanted a movie that would stand out, literally. They were going to bring back 3D. Oh, sir, <laughs> when the hero in coming at you dynamites the hideout of the villain, <laughs> did you find that your three 3D viewers ow, made you part of the explosive action? Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> coming at you. When they light the fuse, you hold the dynamite? Coming at you, rated R. Starts Friday at the Capitol 2 in Sacramento and Cinema 2 in Modesto. After four years of development and managing to raise a couple million dollars in funding, Coming At Ya was released in 1981. Using an updated version of the old Anaglyph 3D process, Coming At Ya was a throwback to old adventure films and westerns. The movie, about a bank robber who tries to find his kidnapped wife, literally threw everything at the audience. Arrows, Bats, the living kind, tomahawks, you name it. According to the producers, the movie was so successful that they almost immediately ran out of 3D glasses to give to audiences. They originally ordered 90,000 pairs and wound up having to order an additional 5 million pairs. Of course, with the comeback of the 3D movie came Hollywood's shameless attempt to exploit it in any way possible a new group of 3D films were rushed into production to take advantage of the resurgence in interest. Most of these newer 3D movies were of the horror and sci-fi variety. Some had ridiculously long names like Metalstorm, The Destruction of Jared Sin, Space Hunter, Adventures in the Forbidden Zone, and Star Chaser, The Legend of Orin. Heard of any of those? No? Well, there's a good reason. They weren't very memorable. Now, there were a couple of films during the brief 80s 3D resurgence that made an impact on audiences, like a machete to the head. Jason, you can't fight him. You can't stop him. And now, can't even keep him on the screen. Friday, the 13th, part three in 3D. Now, when it comes to killing in Jason's woods, Jason will come to you. Friday, the 13th, part three 
in 3D. Friday the 13th Part 3 became a huge success for Paramount Pictures and has the distinction of being the only 3D entry in the horror franchise. From a pop culture standpoint, the film was the first to put Jason Voorhees in his iconic hockey mask. While audiences loved the movie, critics could only find the numerous 3D effects worthy of any praise. Pitchforks, spear guns, and even human eyeballs pop out of the screen at various points during the film. What more could anyone ask? Like Friday the 13th Part 3, the only other somewhat successful 3D movie from that era was also the third film in a popular motion picture franchise. This film, however, had a little more bite. One aroused your fear like no movie before it. Then, just when you thought it was safe to go back in the water, two continued the legend. Now, for the first time, the terror of Jaws will not stop at the edge of the screen. The all-new Jaws 3D, the third dimension, is terror rated PG. Starts Friday at a theater near you. Yes, that's right, Jaws 3D. Originally conceived as a comedy called Jaws 3 People Zero, Universal Studios got cold feet and decided to instead develop a more straightforward sequel using an updated 3D system called Aravision that did not require two separate cameras to shoot the film's scenes. Shot mostly at Orlando's SeaWorld Aquatic Park, the movie follows a great white shark, of course, that has found its way into the park through a broken underwater gate. Lots of biting and chomping ensue with body parts flying at the screen and so on. The film starred a young Dennis Quaid, who, by his own account, was heavily coked up during the production, which, in hindsight, probably helped him get through what was a truly terrible script. The movie itself is really hard to watch, literally because it looks like the entire film was shot underwater, even the scenes on land. I remember seeing it in the theater when it came out, and it was not good. The 3D was, like everything else in the film, murky and muddled. Jaws 3D made money in its first weekend of release, but then when word got out, box office dipped dramatically after that. It would be the worst film in the Jaws series, until Jaws the Revenge, but that's another show. Other 3D movies like Amityville 3D and Parasite followed, but as before during the 1950s, the new craze fizzled quickly. While the technology got a little better, it was only marginal and couldn't live up to the promise of true three-dimensional immersion. For years afterwards, any advancements in 3D movie making were relegated to theme park attractions like Disney's Captain EO and Muppet Vision 3D. It wasn't until the 21st century that 3D really came into its own. All it took was a visionary director, hundreds of millions of dollars, and a group of overgrown Smurfs. Ladies and gentlemen, you are on Pandora. Up there, beyond that fence, every living thing wants to kill you. Everyone on this base, every one of you. This Friday, movies will never be the same. Trust me. Avatar, ready PG-13. Enter the world in IMAX 3D and in theaters everywhere. 2009's Avatar became the highest grossing film of all time. That is, until Avengers Endgame kicked its blue butt in 2019. People flocked to theaters, not because of its somewhat cliché storyline, but because of its groundbreaking motion capture and 3D effects. 
Sure, it took over a hundred years of trial and error, but finally a genuinely immersive three-dimensional experience was achieved. And because history loves to repeat itself, after Avatar's success, a flood of new 3D movies came to theaters. Some were planned from the start as 3D, others were victims of so-called 3D conversion, where a normal two-dimensional film is converted via computer into 3D with usually mixed results, and that's being kind. In the last half decade, the 3D movie has again declined in popularity. Audiences seem to tire of every new release being converted to 3D. Not to mention that many viewers just can't tolerate watching movies in the format. In fact, a recent survey by the American Optometric Association estimated that around 25% of Americans experienced headaches, blurred vision, or nausea when watching a 3D movie. Will the 3D movie make yet another comeback? James Cameron is betting big on his long-in-production Avatar sequels to give 3D a boost. Cameron is promising an even more immersive experience with the newer films. Will audiences come back to the world of Avatar after a decade-plus absence? We'll find out in Christmas of 2021. That's it for this week. Thanks for joining me. Next time on the Deep Dive podcast, Manda and I deep dive into our favorite movie and TV remakes. We want to hear from you. Drop us a line at the deep dive podcast at gmail.com or on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter feeds. You can find links to those on our website, thedeepdivepodcast.com. All clips used in the Deep Dive microcast are meant for educational purposes only and not to infringe on existing copyrights. The Deep Dive lounge theme was arranged and performed by Robert Acorn, based on the original composition by Ryan Blaney. Microcast is a production of Automaton Studios.